Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our care pastor Ronnie Pope brings us part three of our series, Bad Girls of the Bible. Faith Church. How's everybody doing? Yeah. You guys look great. Let's go ahead and uh, welcome our online crowd. We got one special guest watching online today. His name is Pastor Steve. Can we welcome him today? You know, the funny thing about him, he called me, and I don't, don't feel sorry for me because I was supposed to be up anyway today, but he called me about, I don't know, 6.03 this morning. He didn't have any water at his house. And I'm just thinking, why, why in the world did you call me? He said, well, didn't you used to work for the water department? I said, yeah, but I'm retired. <laughs> That's all I got. So anyway, thanks, you guys, for coming out today. We're going to have a good time today. My name is Ronnie Pogue. If, uh, if you don't know me, it's an honor to be here. I'm one of the pastors uh, here on campus. You know, Pastor Steve and Bad Girls last week, uh, you know, he got a little nostalgic. And so I'm just thinking, man, how in the world, what kind of direction can I take this week, so the only thing I really know how to do, and I don't do it very well, but I go old school. So everybody say old school. That's kind of where we're going today, and you guys know me. I'm kind of one of the older guys around here. I don't like to admit it, but I am. Uh, so I take a lot of ribbon from a lot of these young guys, you know, and they think I'm still kind of old, and I'm still kind of full of a lot of BS. Uh, I mean, you guys know what BS is, right? That's, that's before Steve. That's what that, that's what that stands for. So here's what's great about being here at Faith Church, man, just what God's doing uh, in the last few years and just so much life change taking place. It's just great to be a part of that. The great thing I love is I get to represent you. You know, every day out there in the streets, out there meeting people, I get to represent you. And it's an honor. It's something I don't take uh, lightly. It's great to be one of those representatives. And so here's one good thing I've learned from Pastor Steve. You can't do nothing for God without God. So let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day, God, for the time that we have together. Uh, Lord, i just uh, so thankful to be up here, God, just to share a little bit from my heart. And, Lord, I'm not going to go trivial and start praying for the results of a basketball series coming up because, Father, we know you've already had the anointed uh, the anointing on Steph Curry. We already know that, Lord. So we thank you for that. God, I pray, Lord, that uh, we'll open up, God. We'll open our minds. We'll open our hearts. God, let your spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And everybody who agrees said amen. amen. So we're in week three of Bad Girls of the Bible. When he first uh, introduced this series, I thought he said Bad Girls of the Bible Belt. I thought, <laughs> we can't go there. Somebody's going to get called out. It's going to be really bad. So week one, you know, he talked about Lot's wife and just really, uh, you know, about trying to move forward and not looking back. And then last week, you know, he got kind of a little bit fancy on me when he threw out Salome, I mean, a name that's not even in the Bible. And, you know, he pulled up all these graphs and charts, and I promise you that will not be happening this morning. I can promise you that. But here's the question. 
We're going to be talking about a story. Uh, most of you know kind of this story. If you've been around church or the Bible even just a little bit, you've probably heard of David. Uh, and you may have heard of his first wife, Michael. And you, most of us know the end of the story with what, uh, really not tracking through the entire story. So the question I want to answer here today, was Michael really a bad girl of the Bible? I mean, this story kind of reads like an old novel. It's like a tragic uh, romance, and it takes place over in 1 Samuel 18. You know, it's an Old Testament story. I really don't, you know, hang around the Old Testament too much. You know, pastor's real skilled in that because he's got the degree, uh, and you know that. And he's awesome teacher when he's up here. So awesome. But here, here's the thing. There's just too many names there, Right? I mean, I can't talk about the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the Moabites and the Parasites. And so I will go old school and talk about back in the day when I can talk about Friday night lights, short shorts and tidy tights, and maybe an occasional Miller light. I mean, back in the day, okay? Remember this, way back, way back in the day. But here's the thing about these old stories, what they remind me of growing up. They remind me of soap operas. You know, and I don't know how you grew up, you know, if your mom or your grandmom or whatever, you know, they always had soap operas on the TV. But I can just tell you, I grew up with The Young and the Restless. Anybody with me? Young and the Restless. Yeah, I heard amen. I got that. So here's the thing, man. David Hasselhoff. I mean, the Hoff got his start on Young and the Restless, you know, Dr. Snapper. You know, and I know some of you grew up, uh, some of you that are a little bit older, uh, you probably grew up with uh, All My Children, you know, and you may have grown up with... Uh, days of our lives. You know, I stay, uh, stay with my grandmother a lot growing up, and she always had on days of our lives. And I'm going to tell you, if you messed with that TV while it was on, it was going to be the last day of your life. <laughs> I mean, she took it seriously now. And, you know, and it moved to nighttime. You know, soaps moved to nighttime dramas. Y'all remember, uh, you older ones, you know, you had Dallas. You had Dynasty. You had Knott's Landing. I mean, it was all good all the time uh, with these drama shows. And, you know, I don't want to leave you young people out. Because you do have your soap operas too. I mean, you've got Revenge and Scandal and Empire and Nashville. Or maybe the top one you've got now is, my daughter loves it, is Grey's Anatomy. So we've all got these dramas, these soap operas. And it's how this story is, man. It's all about royalty. It's all about the pursuit of a kingdom. And these stories always have these big, great characters in them. You know, this one has King Saul. You know, the first king of Israel. It also has David, man, the up-and-comer that everybody loved. And it has Michael, Saul's daughter. You know, they're all in this pursuit. And here's what I want to tell you on the front end. I want you to get this uh, because, man, this is so true. A privileged life never guarantees a perfect life. It just doesn't. You know, you can pursue greatness or you can be brought up in greatness, but a privileged life never guarantees a perfect life. So here's the question, another question I want to answer. Was Michael a pretty princess who was done wrong, or was she just a royal pain in the neck? That's what I want to look at. We don't title messages around here, but if I happen to title one, this one would probably be called As the Kingdom Turns. You guys ready to go? All right, let's take a look. Act one, let's get this party started. Well, here's the thing. Here's the setting. David had just killed Goliath. I mean, man, 
they had been so uh, in fear of this giant and their people. And David just stepped up to the plate, man. A little shepherd boy had come through with faith in God and took down this big Philistine. So what a great way to start. And here's how it goes. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy with tambourines and cymbals. keeps going. This was their song. Saul had killed thousands, but David had killed his tens of thousands. Now, this should be a celebratory song, right? Everybody should be happy, but something took place when this song was written. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next thing, they'll be making him their king, and it goes on. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, the thing that I pick out in just these few scriptures is that, number one, Saul should have been joyous. I mean, he was the king of the great chosen people of Israel, and he just had his best player go out and take care of the bad guy. He should have been in celebration himself, but he wasn't. Why? Because he didn't get the recognition. He got angry. The scripture said he got angry. Very angry. And here's what anger will do. It'll create very wrong emotions. You know, there's very few good decisions that get made when you're angry. And even more than that, it created what? It created... Well, here's why. Because David continued to see and everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, it just started everything. He became even more afraid of him. With fear comes what? But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. So here's what anger does. It just takes over. It just starts boiling up and things starts happening. You know, in a jealous eye, it mentioned, it blurs our vision. When all we can see is our circumstance. And he couldn't see a celebration. The jealous eye, what did it produce? Jealousy. Jealousy. I mean, Saul had just had their biggest win, and he couldn't embrace it. He was enraged by it. And here's what I think sometimes jealousy will do. Man, it'll just make you think you're better than you really are. You know, as you get older, it happens. You know, i got a, a good deal. Of, uh, I've learned from that. I know a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I shared a little bit about my Connect group. And I really don't, still hadn't figured out how I ended up in this Connect group, but it was Brazilian Jiu-jitsu. I don't know if I was angry and made a bad choice, or, but that guy that could sell that connect group, that guy could sell a connect group. I mean, why is a 58-year-old man, man signing up for jiu-jitsu? I have no idea. But anyway, I showed up, me and my son. I thought, well, this is something we can do together. It'd be pretty cool. He's 19. And, you know, I thought first class is self-defense, you know, pretty good exercise and all that. And it was awesome until about the last 15 minutes of the class. They say, all right, guys, let's, everybody pick an instructor. We're going we're gonna to roll with each other. Roll with each other? If I'd only knew what was fixing to take place. That's when the students attack the instructors. And I'll just tell you straight up, this is not going to go well. And so I can tell you, for the next few weeks, I got choked out in every 
way imaginable. <laughs> on my stomach, on my side, on my back, or even on my head one time. I got choked out, but I learned how to tap out, right? So we come to the very last night, and here's, you know, I'm thinking, man, Lord, please just let me get through this night. And it's going pretty well. I'm working with my son and, and Tyler Abson, our Connect Group leader, and I'll probably never work with him ever again at anything. He is so awesome. But anyway, so we're doing this thing, and we're rolling around there a little bit, and it's all good, man. I think, oh, this is going to be the best night. And then all of a sudden, I saw a shadow come in of a man that was as big as the door itself. And the instructor said, come on in, Big John. Get ready, and we'll get you a partner. And when I heard that, I mean, intuition kicked in. I mean, I would not look at the instructor. I wouldn't. I said, y'all know how the story goes. He gets dressed out and he hollers, hey, Ronnie, go partner up with Big John. And Tyler said, you just won the lottery (laughs) of death. So long story short, we fooled around a little bit, and this big guy finally at the end when we're rolling, it wasn't much rolling going on. But when he got a hold of him, he just squeezed. And I I promise you, I thought that was my last breath on the planet Earth. So I tapped out and recovered, and I mean, I'm, I'm wheezing at this point. I mean, it's a great guy, and in, in the, uh, the instructor says, we're going to do one more row. I said, I'm out. I'm out. I'm hurt. I'm whatever. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm hurt. I'm all that. And so he sends John over to another instructor, and there's this little redheaded kid over here about 21 years old. He don't have a partner. He said, come on, Ron, you got one more in you. I didn't. I didn't. But I, I pulled my pride up, and I went over and started getting on this guy, and I think he was just being nice to me. But anyway, I kind of grappled around a little bit, and finally, one move I learned, I put it on him. Yeah, the worst day of his life. <laughs> I made a move, and I got him, and I got him around the neck, and I just squeezed, man. I squeezed, and I heard him make that sound that I made every other night. <laughs> and he tapped out. And man, I, wanted, I really wanted to jump up and shout, but I didn't. But anyway, we got up, and we shook hands, and we bowed on the outside. I was cool, but on the inside, I was Rick flaring him. <laughs> Woo, yeah. But here's the thing, man. Being around all those guys, I was jealous. I really was. I was jealous because I was old, really washed up. I was jealous of their youth, their technique, their skill, their discipline. Man, and, and it was just hard. Uh, and rather than, like Saul, rather than just embracing that, you know, I, I just tried to want to run from that. And that's the way he did. And here's the thing. David's fame fueled Saul's fear. And then we add another little thing to the mix. In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michael had fallen in love with David. Fallen fallen in love again. It's going to be rough, I can promise you that. But here's what happened. She'd fallen in love with David and Saul was delighted when, when he heard about it. And here's why. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. So Saul was setting this trap, but Michael would be the one that would get caught in it. And here's what's so big about that scripture, the one before. It tells us that Michael had fallen in love with David, but there was no mention of David's love for her. It's nowhere to be found that he reciprocated that love. Man, love hurts. Reminded me of a song, all you ladies of the 80s, you help me out here. Love hurts when only one's in love. Rick Springfield. That's not scripture, but it, it should be. 
You know, I can almost see Rick Springfield. If, if Archie had anything to do with Rick Springfield, it would be David. There he is. What I'm talking about. He's got to look. But I'm just going to tell you, he played on General Hospital. He, he can't be David. He was after Jesse's girl. He wasn't after Saul's girl. So David have to come in, man. He's got to be, I mean, he's got to be the mean guy. He's got to be the tough guy, toughest guy I know. Man, I'll tell you who my David is. That's right. Swayze. Dalton, they called him. He's going to clean it up, double deuce. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know that. If you're young, you don't know it, it's okay. It's okay. It's probably the best, worst movie ever made. Or it may be the worst, best movie. I don't know. It's one of them. You can take a side. The greatest line in that movie was after he cleaned up all those guys, I thought you'd be a little bigger. I, I like that, being a little guy. thought I'd be a little bigger. So here's the thing, man. This is a love story taking place. I mean, you've got a celebrity couple here, kind of like The Bachelor, you know. They make all this stuff up and going to make it work. But here's the thing. There's always conditions when a marriage is set up this way. And here's the condition. Saul wanted David dead. And he set this trap and he sent him out to battle and said, you can have my daughter, but I don't want the hundred lives of the Philistines. That's no problem for David. Watch. David was delighted to accept the honor, the offer, before the time, time it expired. Watch. He and his men went out and killed 200. Everybody say 200. He doubled up on the Philistines. And here it is. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. And it goes on. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became famous and more famous. And as David's fame and his name became legend, Saul's fury and his fear just increased and he made him an enemy for the rest of his life. And so the story goes. You guys with me so far? All right, here we go. Act 2, David must die. For Saul to retain his kingdom, he knew. The Scripture told us that the Lord had already departed from Saul, but was always with David. It moves on to chapter 19. Here's what it says. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. He'd come up with another plan to assassinate David. It goes on. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael... And here's where love steps in because love always smells danger and trouble. So Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window and he fled and escaped. So the conditions were set. David had met the conditions. The story moves on. David escapes, and shouldn't Michael really take on hero status right now? I mean, she just saved David, but it comes with the price. You just don't step up and take on a situation. It'll come with the price. Her dad shows up, 
Saul says, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of Michael, I had to, was her response. She replied, he threatened to kill me if I didn't. Here's the thing that steps in. When you start mixing all this stuff up, jealousy and anger and love that's only reciprocated one way, betrayal steps in. And betrayal will always have a cost, and it's usually at a really high cost. She made a decision to save her husband. Then she had to compromise and tell a lie to save herself. And think about that. As we all wrestle with decisions in our day-to-day walk, whether it be relationships, workplaces, friendships, business decisions, are we going to step up always and just have that moment of honesty and take those consequences, because here's the thing, man. Big decisions will always have really huge consequences. And while David escaped and he was on the run, Michael had nowhere to run. But she was still daddy's little girl. But this escape and this betrayal created what? Separation. Separation in any relationship, in any marriage, in any friendship, it's just never a good thing. You know, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. I've never seen it. I've never seen it work that way. I haven't. You know, and it may be a a, a physical separation. No time together. No intimacy together. It may be an emotional separation. There's no communication. There's no sharing about what's going on. In our lives, or it may be a spiritual, a spiritual separation, where one just kind of starts grafting away from God. Separation is never a good thing, and here's why. As time passes on, so do affections. This put Michael in a very tough spot. Because here's the thing: we're not talking about. David said, hey, I've got to go to work out of town. I'm going to be gone a few days, or I've got to go over here and win this battle. I'm going to go get that in a few days or maybe a month, maybe two months. I'll be back to get you. Or maybe like a military guy that has to go out on deployment. I'll be back. David never came back. This wasn't days or months. It was years. And scholars seem to think it's probably between 10 and 14 years they were separated. I mean, how did she feel? Abandoned? I would think so. So as the kingdom turns, here's what happens. David remarries. Uh, He's away. Michael, who is on her own, but she's still daddy's little girl. So Saul gives her away again to the new kid in town, an up-and-comer, a guy named Palti. And time marches on. And through the years, Saul passes away. He turns over his reign to one of his sons, Ishbosheth. But David's fame continues to grow all across the land. He's legendary by now. Act three. Let's make a deal. And here's where things kind of start. You think they're coming back together, and you think there may be a happy ending in sight. It moves to 2 Samuel chapter 3. Then Abner, who was one of the leaders of Saul's army, now Ishbosheth's army, they could all see, man, what was fixing to take place. So Abner 
sent messengers to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? I mean, they knew the promise. But a promised life will never guarantee a privileged life. Can we make a solemn pact, make a solemn pact with me and I will help turn over all of Israel to you? Keeps going. All right, David replied, but here's a condition. I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. David then sent this message to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife, Michael, for I bought her with the lives of a hundred Philistines. So Ishbosheth took Michael away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. And Palti followed along behind her as far as Behurim, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned. Can't you just feel for this guy? I mean, he's taken over. He's married Michael. He's invested. There's no mention of Michael having any emotion. She just knew that she was going back. Don't you think maybe she just wanted to be back in a privileged life, into the palace life? I mean, can't you hear her when she gets that phone call after 10 years, you know, like a 10-year reunion? I mean, y'all been to some of them. You know what they're like. She gets the call, right? Who? David. David? Yeah, this is David. Hey, we need to get back together, right? It's been 10 years, and I know, but hey, we're going to make this right. I'm going to make it right. We're going to restore this thing, and I want you back. And she's like, are you kidding me? You know, I saved your life. I helped you escape. And then what I get? Not even a phone call or a text or no messenger come to tell me anything. The hurt, the betrayal, the abandonment. And then you hear a silence like, what time? And we're at. And in the background, you hear a little, let's Marvin Gaye and get it on. <laughs> Reunited. Reunited. She's feeling it. She knows her place is to be in royalty. And here's the thing about David. He knows he needs to put this thing together, right? So the people will see it as being politically correct. I mean, he's already moved on, got another wife. Things are going pretty well. But he knows to get the approval of the nation, he's got to take her back. And for her, she just sees it as going back into the privilege of being with the king. So the reunion, the stage is set for the final act. I mean, David, time goes on. He's now the king. They've already surrendered the royalty to him. He's just coming off a big win where he's just picked up the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, which was so special to them in that day to get it back because everything that God had put into them was in that Ark, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the manna that God had provided to keep them alive, Aaron's rod that blossomed. It just signified the heavenly throne of God with his chosen people. It signified that he would wash their sins. It was their mercy seat. So he was coming back to bring God back to the people. He was going to restore the kingdom. Everything was going to be great. It was going to be a celebration of the nation. And it goes on. Wearing a linen ephod. Okay, I had to, I had to stop and figure out what that is. So I looked that up in the Hebrew. 
That's an Old Testament speedo. That's what, that's what it is. That's what it said, Old Testament speedo. G-string. Whatever you want to think, that's how he came in to the city of David. He was wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I'm sure he was. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. And here's why. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, this is where it gets a little tough because where the celebration should be happening, here's what goes down. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, was there. And she watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. What should have been a celebration turned to hate, turned to anger. I mean, it was the beginning of the end. But can you really, can we really blame her? I mean, all that she had been through. I mean, in that one moment, all of her emotions took over. And she could only speak what she felt. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. I mean, she's called him out. She's called him a dirty old man. Now, he may be dirty, but he's only 30 years old. He's not a dirty old man, and she goes on. And here's where it gets tough for, for Michael. Because here comes a response, and here comes the verdict of the king. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will come even more dignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And here it is. The bad girl moment. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. She got lost. All the jealousy, all the anger. It just blurred her vision. And here's the thing. She could only see the celebration of a man. She was blind to the worship that was in his heart. She could only speak what she felt. And the words that she said mocked and made fun of the worship of a living God. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever made fun of the worship? I have. <laughs> For 31 years, I made fun of Christianity. I made fun of the lifestyle. I made fun of the people I saw with that kind of commitment. And you know, like a lot of us, man, I felt like I can go out, I can do this on my own, I can build my own kingdom and my own fame. And as the kingdom turns, the kingdom usually tumbles. You know, I can remember being 31 years old, man, life being spent chasing everything but God. 
You know, I've told my story a few times, but I can, I can really say this. I was laying in bed one night after just being probably on a two-week binge, and I just really felt like God told me. I just heard the words, last chance. Last chance. And you know, I don't think it was the last chance that God was just going to kill me. I think it was the last chance that God was going to allow me to step into the call that he had on my life. And in that moment, a desperation, just a simple cry that God heard. You know, and so I come out of that and I gave my heart to the Lord and it was so crazy. Just within a few months, you know, I ended up in a meeting, like 70,000 men were at this Promise Keepers meeting. It was sweeping the nation. And I'll never forget 70,000 men on their face. And really it's a song that Lenny does all the time. It's real simple. Down at your feet, oh Lord is the most high place. I mean, I can remember being there and just releasing everything, all the hurts that I felt and all the hurts that I'd put on others. Just go. Just go. And I never felt anything like that. And I found freedom when I found God. And I just laid it at His feet. And man, I've never, ever been the same. And I came home, and I was just so full of God. Uh, my wife and I went to a little Baptist church, and Archie was over there. And, man, we got in there, and they started singing old hymns. They were wondering, what's wrong with that crazy guy that's jumping and got his hands lifted up? And what's wrong with it? That's all I could do. Because I'm just going to tell you, man, if you ever felt like I felt, like a rescue, I mean, if you've ever been rescued from the world, that's all you can do is worship and to celebrate. And So, man, I got more excited. I got more undignified. And I, the pastor called me in. I thought he wanted me to maybe step into a leadership role and maybe be an usher, but he just kind of wanted me to usher me on out the door. But, man, I felt like my mission was getting the entire Southern Baptist Convention filled with the Holy Ghost. It didn't work out too well for me. But I just knew what God had done for me. I could never be embarrassed by worshiping Him. You know, we all have these choices, just like Michael did. We all have these choices, and we're going to make a choice. Little or big, how big or small, it doesn't matter. We're going to choose to honor or dishonor God. And here's what's so big. Every decision has the potential to be a life changer. Every decision we make will either put God number one in our life or it's going to put us as number one in ruling our life. You know, it's so funny. Every Sunday we end up right here in this place and it's where God just moves in. And, you know, we start talking about the heart of the matter. And it's always the matters and the issues that are in our heart that make the difference you know I don't know where you're at what you're up against but here's what I do know because I've been on both sides of it the greatest thing that God has ever taught me is to just bring him my worship with all my flaws with all my wrong calls I make I can still just like David he got it wrong in a lot of ways but when it came to worship he got it right.
And here's what I know. It's all about our heart. And jealousy and bitterness and resentment will never change the heart of others. They'll only change ours. We're going to worship something. And here's what I know, that we are at our very best, like David was and Michael was not, when we have God living inside of our heart. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God, for these few moments. God, I don't know what everybody is going through up against, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're dealing with anger or jealousy or resentment or bitterness or decisions you need to make, I want you to slip up a hand. I want to pray. I want to pray for those that are struggling. I mean, you've got things going on, and it's affecting your heart. It's affecting your worship. Just lift it up. Let me see it. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I just thank you, God, for this day, Lord, for these hearts, God, that are hurting God or looking for clarity in situation. God, I pray you to remove all jealousy, bitterness, resentment in Jesus' name. And God, just let us not be like Michael. Let us see the celebration of worship, God. And Father, let us be not ashamed to worship you, God, with all we've got, like your man David, God. He was a man after your heart. So Father, I just pray going forward, God, we just lay every burden down, let you have it, and we walk out of here in love, and we walk out of here in freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody who agrees said amen.